This is the Smooth Operator Podcast. I'm Adam Liette, Director of Operations for a seven-figure online business and eight-year veteran of Army Special Operations. On this show, we get into the tactical nitty-gritty of what it really takes to run a thriving online business because at the end of the day, operators lead the way. What does it mean to really create a warrior psychology? And become a champion and all these great things that we can do inside of us, these mindset tools and tactics that we can use to really be the person that we need to be for our audience, for ourselves, for our family, for everyone that we come in contact with. That's what we're going to be exploring today on Smooth Operator. Thank you so much for joining me. Hope you've had a great week. As you always know, it's Friday. What does that mean? It's interview day where I bring in some of the best people I'm meeting on the internet. And I got a special, special treat for you guys today. I'm joined by Elizabeth Lewis. Uh, we're going to dive deep into the idea of a warrior psychology and what that really means. So Elizabeth is an executive performance coach that works with high achievers all over the world. We've been geeking out already for about 25 minutes before we hit record. And because you meet these amazing people and when you meet them, it's like, I want to know more about you because that's the fun part about what we're doing, right? It's all about these connections we're making and the wonderful people we're meeting. So I'm so thrilled to have Elizabeth on the podcast. Thank you for joining us, Elizabeth. How are you? Thank you so much, Adam. Man, your energy. I just love it. And it's been so much fun geeking out with you, but I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Well, the, the episode comes out on Friday, but here's a little insider secret, guys. Doesn't mean we record it on Fridays. So you can record your podcast well ahead of time, but that's a whole nother training that we can do on uh, actually producing a podcast. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's been a fantastic week and just um, I'm full of energy, aren't I today? So it's going to be a it's going to be a good day. So love to hear more about your origin. I, I was looking on your website, but how did you come to be this amazing performance coach that that is inspiring people all around? Well, thank you. Uh, it was a fluke. It was not intentional. I actually was, my background's in television producing. I have about 10 years of experience being in front of and behind the camera. And um, I had a really messed up, screwed up childhood. Like a lot of people, I mean, 70% of Americans have experienced trauma on some level. For me, my brother tried killing me my whole life, to be completely honest. I mean, when I say my whole life, like until I finally moved out at 16, because I was like, this is just ridiculous type of deal. And um, a lot of my family died too. So by the time I was like 15, I'd gone to over 25 funerals, all pretty close family, um, with the first one being my dad who died. My mom and my brother were the exception of the family members who didn't die. Um, and so long story short, I just was really tired of the mental torture that I was experiencing. By the time I was 26, I was diagnosed with complex PTSD and I kept going to therapist after therapist. And I was like, cool, great. I get it. My childhood was hard. Don't need that validation. Just want to know how the heck to get out of this thought process, get out of this trauma and move the heck on with my life. Um, and no one could give me those answers. So I was like, well, maybe they don't know what they're talking about. And I know that sounds really self-righteous. I don't mean it that way. I just was desperate. So I went and got my first graduate degree in positive psychology with a subspecialty in coaching psychology. And that's where I fell in love with neuroscience and neuropsychotherapy. And I really learned some of the technical stuff and the psychoeducation, which is what I needed to like even understand what the heck was going on for me to change. And to make the story even shorter, I ended up just being really good at coaching. So my professors gave me their overflow clients and then the rest kind of became history. And I'm finishing up my second graduate degree so I can be legally called a therapist and do that type of work and learn the secrets to train transformation, walked out of complex PTSD, walked out of an autoimmune disease, walked out of um, having no immune system. So that's kind of my origin in a nutshell. That's so fascinating. And I love that. I think all of us that find ourselves in this space, like none of us really sought to be this person that we've become, but yeah. like, this is what the world chewed us up, spit us out. And this is what we came, came into. So is this evolution and and, and um, my continuous learning cycle of figuring out who we are and so often it's 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 that self-discovery of trying to figure out our own shit 
that allows us the opportunity to really find things out so we can then serve each uh, other people at a much higher level. I would agree. You know, it's looking at those curses in your past in a more open-minded perspective, because I believe everything is redeemable and everything plays into your purpose at the end of the day. But you have to really get out of that subjective, woe is me, self-pity thinking to see this. (laughs) Oh, so self-pity doesn't, okay. Okay, yeah, just never mind. (laughs) You would think that self-pity would make your life feel amazing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And the cool thing is like, whatever we come from in our origin, you were a television producer, uh, for those of you who don't know, I was a classical trumpet player when this whole journey started. So that's my origin. Go figure, classical trumpet to army to what I am now. I mean, how does that happen? Because that's what life does. And But we still take with us what we originally trained on, that person we were. We just went through our cycles to become the person people we are today. And this is not an, a finished product by any means necessary. And it shouldn't be, right? What fun would that be? Saying, all right, I'm done. No. No. You know, as long as you're still breathing, you have a purpose. And I think people forget that your purpose is always evolving. It's not like, woohoo, you did it. Now you no longer have a purpose. You have fulfilled it. We don't need, like, no, that's not how it works. Like, and your purpose is so much bigger than your bank account. (laughs) For sure. Fantastic. All right. So you, you mentioned one of those keywords in there that I love and neuroscience. And I think that's a term that gets thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. And to be perfectly honest, I'm going to hate on some people right now, gets thrown a lot by people that don't know what the hell they're talking about. So when we talk about neuroscience, like what does that mean for you? Can you break that down in a nutshell? Yeah, neuroscience is just the science of um, neurology at the end of the day, but not in the neurological aspect. So it's kind of like how the brain works. It's interesting. Years ago, I gave my uh, neurologist a lecture in neuroscience, and I was just like, do you not learn these things? Like, I just like, I don't know. And he's just like, no, we learn more about the anatomy of the brain and prescriptions. And I was just like, oh, that's terrifying. Like you should like learn how thoughts change our neurology. You should learn (laughs) how the limbic system and constant rumination connect. And it's just interesting to me that, um, you know, there's so much knowledge and information out there. I guess it'd be unfair for, for one person to know everything about everything. And there's so many different theories, but it just puts so much in perspective because school can only teach you so much. Go and find that person who is an mm-hmm. avid learner and continues to research and hunt. Right. For sure. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to have some more reading ahead because I have a couple of books on the subject and I, I haven't read them in a while. So it's time to refresh those because I always read books at least three times before I get them. Anyway, one of the I, things we, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I, sh- I guess I should also say that it's also the, the um, it, it's a, it takes into account like neurochemistry and experimental psychology. And it also focuses on the nervous system and the brain. I forgot to include that in the neuroscience definition because I don't want people to be like, oh, you kind of explain more neurology there, but just wanted to clarify that really quickly. Absolutely. And man, these, these organs we have on top of our heads are amazing. And the more we learn about them, the more we learn these different triggers. I've worked with a coach who helps people get over their own musical like roadblocks that they put in front of their in front of their minds and it's once you overcome that you can play anything it's really crazy how quickly he gets people to do it that's crazy and it it it, it is mindset but it's also mindset with an application i think and that's thank you <laughs> sorry but yes. it's like in the coaching space like anyone can just become a coach in today's world right like there's no regulation and so right. i appreciate that you're like saying no it's not just mindset because we we have all these like popular words yet there's yes. no substance to them from a lot of these coaches and so and so experts so appreciate that you're saying it's an application there's an application part here there's some steps there's an approach it's not just whatever the heck you want to define it. I was on a call earlier today and everyone went around explaining mindset and growth mindset and their viewpoints. And I'm like, wow, 
interesting. Nobody is fully agreeing on anything right now. And I have no action steps to take from this because everyone stayed up here in, in the clouds in woo-woo land without giving me something to do. Right? Like I'm all about learning and growth. Like give me something useful. Like I, I don't mean to be mean or rude, but sometimes I don't care about people's opinions. Like just tell me a scientific aspect or a tangible viewpoint or give me something objective, something tangible. But that's one reason my clients love me because you get that clear cut action plan of these are the steps you need if you want transformation. But I work with linear thinkers. We like, we like knowledge. Yes, Absolutely. Well, let's get into some of that knowledge. Uh, I feel I feel like we'll we'll stay on this geeking phase for a while before we get to our tangible stuff. So let's let's dive into that. Um, one of the things we talked about when we were getting ready for this interview was talking about the warrior psychology, and mm-hmm. so I immediately immediately latched onto that, partially because I spent a good part of my life as a warrior, yeah. uh, real life warrior, bang bang, oh. and now I'm trying to like take that energy and that thing that I know is still up there and apply it into my business, like, and, and really, yeah, become a warrior businessman or so. I don't know. Yeah. I'm literally, I literally just made that up guys. So don't judge me by the time it would be out in a Facebook ad, it'll be much better. You'll see something really refined, but you are doing so amazing. If listeners don't like it, you know what? They have the option to stop listening, but I think this is awesome. <laughs> Well, don't stop listening just yet. We're getting, but anyway, um, when we start, when we talk about warrior psychology, what does that, what does that mean for you? Like, how, how do you create a warrior psychology? Well, it's really clarifying the framework and from there bringing in that person's unique personality, their unique skills, their strengths, even their weaknesses. So I can only really share the framework, not having that unique person, but it is really important to remember to personalize the things that I say here because you can only do so much like it's so important to have that objective truth and then you add your subjective truth into it to really personalize it make it more authentic because when it's more of your idea it's going to stick with you longer than when it's like my idea or adam's idea but the framework is having a healthy self-confidence now for you to have that healthy self-confidence you've got to have good self-esteem self-efficacy self-worth It's having humility, so it's staying humble. It's having the right type of focus, which is going to be really about living in the present moment and not the outcome or the future, which is what a lot of civilians do at the end of the day. And I'm sure you could probably talk to that, talk about that. Uh, It's being an advocate. It's having and learning how to implement tactical empathy. It's being determined, resilient, clear in your purpose, having that healthy objective mindset. So you've done the work to pull out your toxic thinking, your thinking traps, your aware of those and big picture it's being a tough-minded optimist so it's having this successful um mindset you could say um my computer is about to freak out here it feels like but it's 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 having this successful mindset and that's having your thoughts beliefs expectations and emotions all need to converge into this like champion psychology of where you have this big expectation in life that you're going to win and that you're going to do all right and within that um breakdown what people forget is 1% improvement is still improvement. And so it's really having a healthy relationship with quote unquote failure and seeing it in an an appropriate perspective versus like discounting the positives or being ridiculously hard on yourself, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Especially like, right, right. You hit that right on the end. I'm, I'm taking notes as fast as I can. Um, you said your our relationships with failure, and I think I'd like to dive. If do you have any more, or can we start diving into the particulars? Let's go. Well, first I want to know because you're the warrior here. Like, would you agree? Would you disagree? Would you add something? Let's make this conversational. I I don't know if I could add any more. That was a that was a lot. I I think. When you start talking about being an optimist, and I, I do agree, I think I might temper that with being a realistic optimist. Like we we recognize the and potential we would say for you're a pessimist because realism and pessimism connect too much. But if you study the science of optimism, true optimism is using things for your 
for, for the benefit, right? So it's like, like a lot of people see negative emotions as bad. Well, anger is one of the most motivating mm-hmm. emotions we can have. So it's seeing the things that are going right and seeing that perspective and shifting. It's interesting. And what's, what was also interesting in, in optimism, and, and if you do the research, is depressed people actually have a, have a more realistic perspective of life, unfortunately. Isn't that terrifying? Mm. They ain't doing so well mentally. I am learning things about myself right now. So. Oh. <laughs> but I think, I mean, you have to be uh, realistic in the thing. I mean, you, you can't have toxic po- positivity or optimism, which unfortunately right. I think a lot of pessimists have created because look, if you're super happy all the time and always think best case scenario is going to happen, like those people are way more enjoyable than pessimist or even the negative realist. Which is Absolutely. And I think, I think my comment, my reframing of that might be partially related to the fact that I've spent the last several years now in this online space with all of these YouTube guys, Facebook ad guys saying, you can make $10 million next month if you just follow my system. And I'm like, yeah, maybe, but really, I mean, and, and so maybe I'm a bit jaded on that. And I think if yeah. you're in this space, like, we've, we've all experienced that. So that's, I think that's why I tempered it back a little bit, but that's fair. That's it's so frustrating when you hear those people and then you do the research on their business. And I'm like, no, you were actually in business for many, many, many years before you made your million. So reel it in. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Oh, so cool. And I think that that directly relates to something that I thought about as you were talking was our relationship with failure. Mm-hmm. and the 1% improvements. Mm-hmm. So how how can we have a better optimistic, positive relationships with, with the fact that failure is not, it's inevitable, like you're going to fail in things that you do. And so how can we have that better relationship with failure? Great question. So it, a lot of people who struggle with failure in the sense like they have an unhealthy relationship or like they fear it, usually perfectionism is somewhere in the mix of that. And you have to be really careful with perfectionism because this is going to sound potentially like insane when I verbalize it, but we can break it down if need be. But when you have perfectionism, whether you're aware of it or not, you really believe you're God. Mm. Ultimately, you're telling me that you can, you know, everything you can be everywhere at once. And you can do all the things that God can do. It's not true, right? Like when you put it out there verbally, you're like, oh, of course I can't. But yet this is kind of the expectation. And perfectionism is usually brewed from some sort of rejection. So as a kid, you experience rejection or you saw mom and dad be perfect, perfect or what have you. And so perfectionists, they can't stand failure because it's 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 all or nothing thinking, which is a toxic thought process. Cognitive behavior therapy says this is a... a a thinking trap. It's cognitive distortion, that all or nothing thinking. And so big picture, you have to see failure as feedback. Failure is one of the best things to learn from. I mean, think about when we were like babies learning how to walk, Mm -hmm. whether we're aware or not, like when we fell on our butts trying to walk, like we learned from that and we did things differently. Just like when you Mm -hmm. play darts, like if you keep missing the board or not getting the number you want, you don't keep throwing the way you've been throwing. You start to play around and experiment with your throws. So failure at the end of the day is feedback. Take that feedback in, recalibrate it and, and use that data to try again with more efficient data in your, in your play. And you keep doing that. People forget that business is all trial and error. At the end of the day, nobody really knows what they're doing in business. A business plan is like an idea. I mean, I I don't have a magic wand. I don't have a crystal ball. Like I don't have anything to guarantee these things. So with failure, it's shifting your perspective, right? It's not something grim. It's not something terrifying, terrifying. It's actually something that provides you so much information that will help you get ahead. And one thing too, that you have to think about with failure as well, like maybe you didn't get the expectation you wanted, right? Which be mindful of expectations. They lead to um, frustration if they're unfulfilled. But maybe you didn't get what you wanted. Maybe you you were trying to do something, but if you moved forward just 1%, that's still growth. Right. To me, real failure is when you just sit there paralyzed, unable to do anything. Mm. Or when you give up. 
and you don't, you just stop trying. Like I learned really on that. I love being an entrepreneur. I love learning. I love researching. So even if like, I'm never successful, I'm just going to continue to do this for the rest of my life because I enjoy it. So maybe one person will watch me. Great. If not, whatever, I'm going to grow and I'm going to learn and just better myself. And so it's shifting that perspective, you know, failure and performance anxiety kind of work together at the end of the day. And a lot of times, mm -hmm with performance anxiety and failure before you've actually truly failed with just more of the fear of failure, you're really catastrophizing. You're projecting into the future, which you don't want to see. And you're focusing on the outcome versus the present moment is really all you can be in and do. That's the only thing you have right now is the present moment. And in the present moment are opportunities that you can miss if you are not focused. Mm. Wow. All we... I, that's the second time I've heard that today. There must be something to that. Like all we have is today. All we have is the present moment. Yeah. And that needs to be all of our attention is on that for, yeah. for right now. And there's so much we can do. I mean, it, it kind of ties into everything when we're thinking about our optimism in the moment, having the successful mindset of being in the moment and what can we do now? Exactly. What can we do right here today? It's the only place we, you exist. I mean, like, yeah. You, like let's take sports games right like when you're playing a game obviously you want to win but you can't like make this the time of the game go faster to get to the end result no it's all of those seconds that lead up to the last second of the game are imperative for you to get your outcome but if you if you don't stay focused in the present moment you might miss plays if you're worried right. about the future because you can't think on two things at once you can't think about the present moment and the future simultaneously one becomes mm. more prevalent Multitasking is a lie, guys. It's a lie. Yes. It's just yes. switching between tabs, like if you were on Chrome or Safari or some or some internet browser. That's all it is. It's just switching tabs. And it's so frustrating too. And when you when you actually look at your own performance, when you I'm gonna be efficient and multitask. No, stop it. I usually stop snap it. at someone too or like make a mistake. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Or like send something to the wrong person. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Didn't mean to send you that. I have a little trick I've used to employ to get myself out of that because when I run, the, I have this huge monitor array because I, I like when I'm running my teams, when I'm working on, I like, I like to see everything all at once, Same. which is like the worst thing possible when I need to write some copy or I need <laughs> to create some content for my courses or something. So I, I will leave my big desk, go to this little desk I got on the side and I'll just use my iPad. Oh I gosh. Only keep one thing open. Wow. I have a 49 inch curve monitor and uh, I love it. It, does, it makes life so much easier that I can't leave my office sometimes because I like the size of my monitor. So good discipline. What I have to do is I just like, um, I've been practicing my, on my focus for, for years. I mean, it is a skill you've got to, you've got to practice your present moment focus. No one's yes. great at it in the beginning. So that's important to know, but I just have to practice. And I think grad school helped me because of writing all of the papers. I think that probably helped me, but I just get in the zone and I get in flow and like, I just remove all obstacles and all distractions. But then like, sometimes I go back and forth just to check for a quick break, but then I'm very, I've learned to, to grow my discipline and my integrity be like, okay, you get three seconds and then you get to go back right now. And so right. it's been helpful, but I also keep my phone on silent so nobody can distract me. And like all notifications are turned off. Like, no, control all variables, people that you can, which is usually yourself, only yourself. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and there's, there's one other thing I wanted to, to kind of mention a very you know, tactical application of all of this is what we talked about. You're never going to be perfect the first time you do something. Life is about failure, learning from it, failure, learning from it. When you see Tom Brady throw a touchdown pass, it's because he threw that pass a thousand and five times before the game. You know, going back to my time in the army, by yeah. the time I got boots on the ground in Iraq or Afghanistan, I had already shot like 10,000 rounds from my weapon. So yeah, I was, I was really good. But it's because, yes. I mean, that's exactly. it's so important. And that's, and I'm, what you're saying is so important. And I think people outside of the army and professional sports sometimes suck at this, which is practice and practice mm -hmm. how you would do it in the real thing, because condition response is real. Like my, yes. um, my boyfriend was a Sergeant major in, in Delta force, and he does a lot of gun trainings for people. And like, look, I'm speaking language. I don't hundred percent understand right now. So I'm going to just lead with that for a second, but he was, um, 
uh, oh my gosh, I'm losing the word. Okay. Don't judge me guys. Like going to be vulnerable here. I cannot, what, what is the thing that holds the bullets in the dang gun? What is that called? Right? Mag. Oh my God. It came to you right as I asked. So this yeah. guy wanted to pick up his magazine in a, in a shooting training or whatever. And my boyfriend went to him and was like, no, are you kidding me? You're dead now because you're going to pick it up in a real fight when who cares about your mag? I don't care if you paid for it. I don't give two craps. Like right now we got live bullets, dude. Condition response. You are going to muscle memory train your body to pick that up in the middle of a shootout. You're going to be dead. And it's so important, like practice the way you're going to show up on the real thing. It's so important, but it's hard. It is, especially, especially when we're dealing with people, like most of us, we're running a business, we're working, I I don't care what business you're in, you're in the people business, like, period, you have to deal with people, all the positives, negatives, good stuff, bad stuff, shitty days, like everything, like we are complex creatures that lead really fun lives. But because of that, like your words matter, your performance matters. And so what I do, you know, we talked about wanting to make it practical. I got this I got my voice recorder app on my phone. Mm-hmm. I will, if I know I have to deliver a brief or if I have to do a sales call, or I don't care what it is. If I need to perform and be at my best, I'm going to fail 35 times on this phone before I hit go. That's awesome. That's awesome. So how do you practice? I, I will memorize what I want to do enough that mm-hmm. I don't need the PowerPoint slide anymore. I don't need my cheat sheet. And I will walk around my office just pacing, talking. Mm, That's powerful. I will take any sales call. When I was first starting, I would take any sales call. And I didn't care if I passed or failed or got it or whatever. It was just normalize, 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 normalize the experience. Figure out what works. Experiment. Try again. And by the way, one thing I guess to consider, this is what I tell my clients who really struggle with perfectionism, is put on the experiment hat. Sometimes we have to like create a new framework of how we're going to show up to make it easier. So if you struggle with failure, one of the best things you can do is like, well, let's just experiment right now. Cause that means you're just trying to prove your hypothesis or get enough information to say, Hey, I need to change my hypothesis. Mm. I love that. I'm stealing that one. Please do. (laughs) Please do. And you said something that was really really powerful, which was like, life is about fail, 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 fail. Here's the thing. If you're an entrepreneur and you hate failure, don't become an entrepreneur until you like failure. Because that is literal, literally, which is the wrong way of using that word. But that is what the entrepreneur journey is. (laughs) Fail, 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 fail. I mean, most of the really successful entrepreneurs have failed so many times. I remember when I got my first coach, he was like, Sounds like you have fear of failure. I'm like, no, I got fear of success, man. I'm good with failure. I'm comfortable with failure. Let's fail. I do not mind making look making myself look like a fool. I'm that type of person who's super bold and assertive. Like, I'll go ask anybody anything. It's it's like when you catch the dang thing that you're after, you're like, oh crap, now, now what do I do? I'm I'm used to the failing part, not, not the winning part. <laughs> so does that mean we have to flip our relationship with with success then too? Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did. I, I had to figure out like, what is it about? But for me, like, I didn't want to lose my humility because success changes people, especially Mm. when it's financial success. And for me, one of the most important things is to, um, love unconditionally and anyone I'm with like that love just kind of oozes out of my pores because I want everyone to feel validated, worthy, and important in my space because, I just think that's really important. And I don't think we have enough of that in today's world. Cause you don't, you don't ever know what someone's going through. You have no idea. Mm-hmm. You have no idea if someone's considering killing themselves. I don't want to be a thorn in somebody's butt. I mean, you can be loving and firm simultaneously. So I don't let people walk all over me, but right. you can be loving and confrontational and own your, your crap, if you will. And, you know, put the balls back on their court if they're really projecting onto you. <laughs> So how, how, how do we do that? Cause I, I, I get what you're saying and I know I've done it. I can't possibly explain how I do it, but like, how do we love unconditionally be supportive, but firm? That's a great question. Um, so one thing that I, it's a process. 
I don't think you can necessarily get there overnight type of deal. It depends on where you are, obviously, with your your mindsets right now. The first thing you have to do is really have a strong sense of security. A lot of humans struggle with something I call fear of man, and that's where you look at humanity to affirm your worth versus looking to God to affirm you. So when you struggle with fear of man, ultimately, you see every human being as your judge in that like divine aspect which I don't care if you believe in God or not. We've proven every single human being on planet earth has thought of God. So there's something called neurotheology, which has shown that our brains are wired for a spiritual source. And so this becomes dangerous because if, if humans always have power over you, then you're going to constantly mold yourself. You're going to do people pleasing stuff at the end of the day, people pleasing fear, man, same thing, same dang thing. Um, And so you've got to get really secure with who you are, your values, your beliefs, and, and really learn how to have objective thinking. That's kind of like that foundation at the end of the day, practicing mindfulness and acceptance. But then you can start to leverage empathy. And this is tactical empathy, I like to tell people. And so label, you know, when somebody gets upset, say, you know what, it, it, it seems like you're a little upset right now. Or there, you know, it's 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 really labeling what you're seeing. So it's remaining having that eagle eye view of the conversation. This is what I like to tell, like lawyers do this. Like in litigation, lawyers are keeping that eagle eye perspective. They're telling the um everyone that big picture view versus sometimes when we get in conversations and confrontation, we're like eye to eye. Like, how dare you just hurt me? How dare you just and we start to go back and forth when it's just like, well, it sounds like you're really upset by what I just said. And then Mm. they can expand it. And what we're finding is when you label negative emotions, you actually start to diffuse the person a little bit faster. You really start to see that in their amygdala where the negative emotions of the amygdala would show up in a functional MRI. But likewise is also acknowledging uh, or labeling the positive emotion. Like if you're on a phone call with customer support, one of the best things you can say is, you know, thank you for being so gracious to me today. Right. You know, and so it's it's labeling what the other person is doing from that big picture perspective, but that takes a very objective, secure way of thinking, because if you always think that you're being attacked, if that's like a core belief of yours, that everyone's against me, then that that core belief is going to create a barrier. It's also understanding, like, what are you going to tolerate? What are you not going to tolerate? Like me personally, I don't allow certain toxicities in my space just don't want it. And so it's like, Hey, if you want to be in my space, this is unfortunately one of my conditions, accept it. Don't accept it. I don't really care. I'm not responsible for your happiness. I mean, you're married. You can't make your wife happy at the end of the day. If she's not already happy and whole, mm-hmm. it's going to be impossible to make her that way and vice versa. Right. doesn't matter. And so that loving and firming is also speaking in a way and making sure your tone is very inclusive, monotoned, really neutral, calm, be slow. But then sometimes it's also important to mirror people, you know, say the last four or five words that they said, um, do it strategically because that can help people feel feel um, connected. One thing I also say when I start to see people getting upset, especially if I know them, so this is usually when a relationship's already been created, I'll say, what did you just hear? Because per- communication is what the listener perceived, not what you said. And we mm. all distort things when we hear them. And so sometimes it's just nice to just check in on what did they hear. But at the end of the day, like, you can't make someone feel a certain way. That's their stuff. So don't own it. Sometimes you just got to like step to the side to let the ball pass you and be like, okay, sorry about yeah. that. You know, it's, so it's, it's really leading with that. You know, everyone wants to be loved everybody. Yeah. And just Absolutely. validating yourself worth. You don't have to agree with their life perspective. You don't have to agree with what's pissing them off, but validate it, acknowledge it, let them know you heard it or feel that way. Mm-hmm. And then they'll correct you if you got it wrong. Trust me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I think that's what's so misunderstood with empathy. Like empathy doesn't mean you're going to agree with them. And you're like, oh, I see your point. You must be right. Right. It's acknowledging that they have a thought, acknowledging that they have a feeling. Yeah. And I love that diffusing it. Man, oh, I'm going to use that one. Like yeah. just stating it so obviously. And it's not even emotional at that point. It's like, oh. it sounds like I really upset you. Yeah, but you have to grow your emotional 
self-control traits to really do that. Cause if you are not tough-minded, if you don't have good, um, contentment, control and composure and self-confidence, like, Whoa, it's going to get heated fast. Yes. (laughs) Cause 90% of the time someone's upset and they're projecting, like they're projecting their upsetness onto you. It's not actually personal. So like taking that step back and realizing, okay, this person's yelling at me. It's not actually me. That's bothering them. It's something else. So let me not be the personal one that's going to take it personally. Instead, that's a great tactic just to diffuse it right away. And I, I, I love to tie things in full circle because we talked about sports before and like all the practice you do beforehand. What do people, what does pro athletes do at the end of the game? They go watch the tape. Mm-hmm. So what I would recommend we all take a moment to do is think of the last encounter, the last moment we had where we're, it could have gone better. And we, you know, you, you all know those conversations that could have gone better. Mm. And I would challenge you to recreate that conversation in your mind. And how would you handle it better next time? There might not be a next time. Hopefully there's not. But the point is you're building those faculties. You're building that, yeah. that discipline in you. And when we say something out loud, when we do something physically, we're, we're building those neural connections. Oh, we're coming back to neuroscience again. All those neural connections on our, our body remembers how to do things. Our mind remembers how to do things. We're creating those pathways. Reflection and visualization is so freaking powerful. It's so powerful. It's, it's just insane. There was a study done in the University of Washington. I don't remember the, the, the date, um, but they took three. They, they were trying to improve their men's basketball free throw. Uh, percentage. Mm. That's what they were trying to do. So they had three groups. The first group could do whatever they wanted. The second group could only do free throw shots. The third group could only imagine uh, free throw shots. So they couldn't even touch a basketball and Mm. they um, studied them for 30 days. And what they found is the first group that could do whatever they wanted didn't improve at all. Shocking. The second group who could only do free throws improved by 25%. And the third group who could only visualize doing free throws improved by 24%. That's a 1% difference. You go in the direction of your most dominant thoughts. So if you don't like your life, your thoughts got you there. And what if we combine the two? Right. What if we have our thoughts and the actual doing, the practicing? Mm-hmm. I don't have the date on that, but yes, I mean, the placebo effect is really what we should put all our money into. Big farmers never going to allow that. And probably the American government as, as well. I might just be canceled for saying that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I'm just being honest because like, even in, in psychotherapy, like uh, taking a depression, taking an antidepressant and, and talk therapy it, or excuse me, an antidepressant pill and the placebo effect, the antidepressant was a half a unit more effective. Half a unit, half a unit more effective. That's like insane. And by the way, antidepressants don't do anything for the long run. They just take you right back to square one when you get off. Right. So just heads up. Yes. And I've had that with PTSD where like, oh, you should do this. You should do that. No, it was when I got all this right. And when I established really good habits, really good routines, really good ways of self-talk, self-confidence, reflection. And it, was, it wasn't like, oh, it got a little bit better. It was gone. Yeah, same with me for complex PTSD. When I learned the ways of how to A, rewire my brain, B, how to effectively and appropriately process the trauma, which just because you're a therapist or a coach doesn't mean you know how to do that. I walked out of it really quickly as well. And it's, it's sad to me because like neuroplasticity is a huge word. I think it intimidates a lot of people. It's a very simple and basic process though, at the end of the day. And it just frustrates me how like us humans sometimes want like more complicated answers when a lot of life's answers are very simple. Like you can change your psychology very quickly. My clients get transformation in two sessions. It's not hard to quickly get transformation if you are good at finding the core issues and then sharing mm. the tech, the tactical, tangible action plan of how to get that change. And for some people, it, it, it's going to be a variation of things, but there's like, I don't know, like a snap on truck of tools we have here. Right now, like if one doesn't work, we can do different things. But at the end of the day, neuroplasticity is going to require attention, focus, and repetition. 
So how consistent are you at these tactics? Because, you know, consistency got you there no matter if it was positive or negative at the end of the day. Right. And it's especially in business when we're we're dealing with complex things, we're we're constantly having to be evolving. Like neuroplasticity is a part of what we're doing. And and if you got teams, like people working for you, I, I think there's so much we can take away from these mindset things that we're trying to improve upon ourselves. What happens when you reflect that outwards to your team? What are you doing for your team? What are you doing for all the people around you? I think we just have, we. it's almost, a re, no, it's not almost, it's a responsibility to make everyone that encounters us, like, yeah. A, feel loved, yeah. B, improve in some way, if by no other way than mirroring what we're doing. People right. are paying attention. That is, oh, I'm so happy you said that. That is one of like my big things that I like to tell people. Always leave people feeling worthy. Like if you leave somebody and you made them feel unworthy, you're going to need to work on yourself, right? Like you can put somebody in their place, quote unquote, and still treat them like they are worthy. Right. Yes. It's just, it's just sad. Like leave, we have a saying, like leave things better off than you found them. Well, why do we care more about things than people? Why can't oh, we leave people better off than we found them? Oh my gosh. Have you seen the movie Don't Look Up? It's on Netflix. No, but I want to see that movie. It was on my list. Is it good? I'm so happy you said that. I'm going to watch that tonight. It's great. It's 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 a hoot. I mean, it's it's a, it's a you know, everything falls apart by the end. But it's a great it's a it's fun. It's a, Now I know fun. the ending. Just kidding. <laughs> but there's this part where Jonah Hill, he's like the president's aide and also her son. And he's like, "You know, everyone's out there praying for people and i think that's really cool but i think we should maybe pray for stuff there's a lot of cool stuff out there like cars and gucci bags and it's like it's so absurd but you once you said that i was like you're right we spend so much time worrying about crap and the people are all the it's all that matters and especially when we're we're, we're leaders right if you're if you're adopting the warrior psychology you're in business like it's, it's all about people. It really is. You know, business is about people at the end of the day. Like I, I personally, like the more I study, it's funny, you know, 15 years ago, we didn't use the word mindset. We just said business and business strategy and all of this stuff. And like within those business terms, we talked about the psychology in a more obscure manner than we do nowadays. But at the end of the day, if you do not understand human psychology or human personality or human behavior, like you are hindering yourself in business. Mm. You have to understand, like people are made out of business or people make businesses. Like business isn't just this thing. Like people make it at the end of the day, like learn how to treat people well, because people like to do business with people they like. And people will remember how you make them feel. They won't really remember what you say because our memory kind right. of sucks in the first place but people remember how you how you make them feel so make everyone feel like they're amazing because don't you like talking to those people who like make you feel good and like want to hear about you and want to talk like and humans love to talk about themselves so if you're an introvert great just listen that's right. what they want anyways introverts are great conversationalists i tell you they just sometimes they can't be one-on-one -on -one. i mean it's more the groups that that kind of overwhelm introverts yes I found out the other day, I'm, I thought I was an introvert all these years because it takes me effort to do it. And I found out actually I'm an extroverted introvert. I didn't know yeah. that was a thing till like last week. Um, well, you have to take all of your personality um, traits into play. Like um, I am an extrovert, but I have a high autonomy, which pushes me down to an ambivert. And so personality traits um, oh. are never just one at play they kind of cluster together. So you have to kind of look at the, the dichotomy of all the traits to figure out how they're enhanced. Like, it's amazing how by strategically improving one psychometric trait, you can improve all of these others and vice versa if you need to decrease it. It's it's interesting how we, it, we're complex. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Well, before we run out of time, I want to, I just want to go I want to go back to the beginning when we talked about self-confidence because I find that's the domino one, in my mm. opinion. If yeah. we can be confident in ourselves, it gives us the ability to learn the rest of this stuff and to become that person we need to be. 
So if we're not self-confident, well, even if we are self-confident, we can always improve. Like how can we further develop our self-confidence? Well, some of this is first, um, okay, I pause because I find it a little difficult to have a good sense of self-confidence if you have poor self-esteem. Self-esteem is kind of like that strong foundation that you're going to need. Now, with that being said, you can be very self-confident and have no self-esteem and you can have all the self-esteem and not great self-confidence because they're not necessary. like they, they, they connect and they don't at the end of the day. So self-confidence is like, self-esteem is like your opinion about yourself. And then self-confidence is the view of like what others think about you and what you know that they think you could kind of see it that way to a degree. I mean, that's a very simplistic definition, but my, Mm -hmm. my first encouragement is really work on that self-esteem and self-esteem has two factors. So self-efficacy is an expectation that one can perform a specific task and self-worth. And this is really where the, where like the core of self-esteem is, is in self-worth. And that's that global feeling that one has the right to exist and that one is basically good and worthy to live. So in short, it's that self-approval. And one thing I want you to just memorize and just make up your mind right now, your self-worth is a constant. Regardless of what you do or you don't do, you are worthy. People in jail are worthy. People who do really messed up things are worthy. Do they need to pay for their actions and take responsibility? Absolutely, that's that's separating. Now with self-confidence, self-confidence you know, like, um, I'm going to use Tiger Woods for, for a second, just because of those sports, um, analogies work really well. You know, he started practicing golf when he was two years old, I believe. And he would hit what 2000 golf balls a day. So by the time he was 20, he had tremendous self-confidence with, um, golf because he had consistent positive experiences in his sport. And that's really what, what, what confidence really comes into. It's believing in your ability, knowing that you can do whatever you need to do to, to win. And so within confidence, I really tell people like, trust your effort, have confidence in your effort more than your ability. That's how we can kind of bring in that, um, um, growth mindset, but it's, it's really having the assurance in your ability or in that particular skill set. So a lot of times, like let's take entrepreneurs, like we sometimes wake up and we're like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur today. And we try, we get negative experience or negative feedback. So self-confidence takes time to grow. So this is where you just have to be a little bit more tough-minded and just stick with it and be consistent until you start to get those positive results and then like highlight them in your mind. Yeah. That's fantastic. One one little trick I use, I, I have a, despite that we're all, oh, this is an audio show. Anyway, for video, here's my planner. It's physical. Yes. I can't stand digital planners. I'd like to write things down because there is a neural connection between the pen and the paper that happens. Um, You're a leader. Start journaling. Sorry. Yes, 100%. I end every day with two questions. The first question is, what am I grateful for? Mm. The second question is, where did I win today? Two questions I share for people who want to develop the warrior or the um, champion psychology is, how will I be a champion today? So that's what you ask in the morning. How was I a champion today is what you ask right before you go to bed. Ooh, so I need to answer those two questions in the future minded. What am I going to do to win today? How am I going to win today? And then answer it again at the end of the day because oh this is cool because what i found is when when you know you have to answer where you won today you spend your whole day looking for wins yeah if you're starting your day by saying where am i going to win today you're you're bookending it right right i love how excited you get by the way so cool well, now I have to add to my planner and it's not mine. I can't print this thing. That's okay. And it's oh, going to yeah. go in my journal. First world problems. First <laughs> world problems. Exactly. Oh, fantastic. Well, we could geek out all day long, but I know we both have appointments to get to. So we're going to have to figure out a time where we're meeting offline or figuring or continuing to work together. Cause yeah. I could talk with you all day, Elizabeth. This has been truly phenomenal. Um, and for yeah. 
Where can our listeners find out more about you? Because I I, I just want to promote you like crazy because it's Uh, been great. You're so sweet. You've been so much fun. I feel like I could talk to you all day too. Um, You can go to Elizabeth Lewis, L-O-U-I-S.com. I'm very popular, not that I'm popular, but I'm meant to say I spend a lot of my time on LinkedIn and YouTube as well. So you can find me on there and everything links. And you can email me at Elizabeth at ElizabethLewis.com if you have any questions. Fantastic. And I just downloaded her PDF this morning, uh, The Psychometrics of a Successful Entrepreneur. It's a great read. If you haven't downloaded it yet, what are you waiting for? Wait to the end of the show, then go download it. It's great. And uh, continue this wonderful journey of making ourselves better because this is fun. Once you get hooked on it, it's this is a blast. It is. It's, it is because here's the thing, when you work on yourself, it's amazing how like money and opportunity just naturally comes to you and you become less afraid to say yes to what just comes to you because sometimes like life comes in a way that you can never even plan it or dream it. And it's just so exciting because when you work on yourself, then you can always create Mm. and money is not security. Job is not security. Sorry. Those things don't exist. They don't. Well, to, to end on a sour note. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, no, it's not a sour note, but so many people are like, my job and my money will keep me secure. I can't tell you how many clients You're I right. have that are like, I want financial freedom. Cause I had a mentor that in 1986 or 87, whenever the first housing crash, whatever happened, he lost $10 mm-hmm. million. He lost everything. Yeah. Oh. Your money won't keep you safe, but working on yourself, learning how to make money, learning how to work on your effort, learning how to work on your psychology. When you, when you can do something once, you can do it again. Oh my gosh. And especially in the climate we're in right now, I think we need to remember that. Recessions that... make millionaires. That's yeah. you get the most millionaires out of recessions. Sell high things or low things. It's the medium price that, that sucks. Seems like there's yes. a theme on getting rid of the middle class too and that, but I won't say anymore. That's a, well, that's what Dan Kennedy teaches. He's like, there's, there's, you don't win by being the low price or there's no prize for being the second lowest price. Yeah. Yeah. It's the extremes at the end of the day. It's it's weird. Yeah. So let's all sell super awesome, expensive things. That's better. Right. In the recessions, like Chanel is still going to sell their $5,000 bag or, right. you know, Tesla's still going to sell all their cars at the end of the day. It's the middle price that people will overlook. It's the extremes, the highs and the lows. It's crazy. I love it. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Like I said, we could go on all day, but um, we're going to have to figure out a time to to link back up because I've had just a heck of a fun time here. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. All right, everyone. Well, see you next uh, episode. And yeah, be sure to go to check out Elizabeth and we'll be back here for more Smooth Operator Podcast soon. Hey, before you bounce out of here, I have a free strategy session available exclusively for my podcast audience. In this 30-minute phone call, we'll unveil the immediate steps you can take to operationalize your business and put you back in the driver's seat. Just go to www.adamliette.com and click start here.